You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the book of Acts. Come you sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now, full of pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able, He calls you now. Written here, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. Wow. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when God says something and gives us a promise, it's true. And we can glean from that promise. Regardless of the situation, regardless of where you are in life, regardless of the horrible things that may be happening to you or where you are, you can glean from God's promises and you can say yes and amen. It's not uncommon for circumstances or situations in our lives to distort our grasp of God's promises for us and cripple our trust. In today's message from the book of Acts, Pastor Dave aims to expand our vision of this life towards an eternal perspective revealed in the promises of God. Now here's Pastor Dave for part two of his message entitled, The Heart of Paul's Defense. Paul had his trust totally in Jesus Christ. And why wouldn't he? We remember when we read when when Paul was in his darkest hour, Jesus came to visit him. Jesus came to visit and said, take courage, Paul. Be of good cheer. You did a great job of testifying me in Jerusalem. And guess what? Now I'm sending you to Rome. And you're going to testify there of me. So Paul had promises of God. Paul had the promises of God in his heart. And he hung on to these promises of God. Why are we always running around like chicken with our heads caught off, trying to figure out what we're going to do when we have the promises of God ourselves? We've got God's promises that are throughout his word. We have his promises. But listen, folks, I'm just like you. I wish I could rest in the promises of God. I wish I could sing that song. Stand among the promises of Christ. My, I wish I could say that was my life. I wish I could say that's what I did. But I don't always do that. I don't always stand on the promises of God. And I'm not really sure why. Scriptures are full of the promises of God. It's full Paul was standing on Christ's promise. Paul was standing on God's word alone. You know, when you you go into the, the Bible and you start looking, time and time and time again, God's word has been proven true. And I'm only going to give you one, one of my most favorites, Joshua 21, verse 45. It's written here, Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. Wow. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when God says something and gives us a promise, it's true. And we can glean from that promise. Regardless of the situation, regardless of where you are in life, regardless of the horrible things that may be happening to you or where you are, you can glean from God's promises and you can say yes and amen. Because God's promises are true. God's promises are truth. And we glean from them. Paul knew that. Paul was standing on the promises of God. Don't think he was humming that song, though. But he was standing on God's promises. So Paul then addresses the charges against them. And it's really interesting the way he addresses these promises. The first thing he does is he denies two of them, being a pestilence and that of sedition. And I'm kind of glad that he shows that there's no proof for sedition because, as I said before, sedition was the most serious of all the crimes. Sedition. 
Being charged of rebellion against the Roman government, the Roman Empire, huh, you're dead. If you're guilty of that, you're gone in a heartbeat. Look at verse 12 and 13. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things which they now accuse me of. Paul says, where's your proof? Where's your proof? For one thing, folks, I've only been in Jerusalem 12 days. Is that enough time for me to organize an assault, let alone lead an insurrection? 12 days? I mean, how many people can I talk to in 12 days? That doesn't seem like there's enough time there. And I wasn't even in the temple in dispute. What was Paul doing in the temple? Well, first thing we read in verse 11, if you go back, why did Paul come to Jerusalem? To worship. He came to Jerusalem to worship God. He came to Jerusalem to come into the temple to worship God. He said, I'm not a pest. I didn't trouble anyone. You know, it's really hard to be a plague or a pest when you're worshiping the true living God. When you're in true worship and living God, it's really hard to be a downer on somebody. I mean, when God's really moving in your heart and you're standing there worshiping, it's really hard to be down on somebody or, or to, to be a pest to somebody. Furthermore, Paul says, I didn't even teach in this city, so I wasn't a pest. I wasn't a bother to anyone. There's just not enough time for Paul to do the things he's accused of. Nothing of these accusations except lies, rumors, and innuendos. And even though it had been more than 12 days and many witnesses were easily found, there were none there. There were no witnesses in front of them. There was simply no proof, no evidence to support these. Paul says, nor can they prove the things that they now accuse me. So Paul denies these charges of being a pestilence and sedition, and then he confesses to three charges. He confesses to three charges, and this is interesting. He stands up for what is right. Paul stands up for what is true. Paul doesn't shriek away. He did deny the two charges. But he stands up for what is right. He stands up for truth. And I think this is really neat we can glean from him. Paul truthfully admits his guilt to three things. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in this law and the prophets, having hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both the just and the unjust. Paul says, these things I do. I did them. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful testimony. Yes, I am guilty. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm worshiping God, the God of our fathers, he says. Paul makes it clear to them, I haven't abandoned God. I haven't abandoned God. I'm worshiping God now in a new and living way. The fact that Paul was a follower of Jesus Christ didn't mean that he was worshiping a different God. It means he was fulfilled now in worshiping the true living God. The true living God. Remember the argument that Jesus had with the Sadducees. And they were talking about the resurrection and whose wife will he be. And Jesus brings up this really neat passage in Mark 12, 25 and 27. Jesus says, but concerning the dead, they will, they will rise... Have you not read the book of Moses in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Did you hear that? God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. He's saying, there is a resurrection. You're greatly mistaken. He was arguing with the Sadducees, trying to put his point of view across. When Jesus said, concerning the dead, they will rise, have you not read? These skeptical Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. 
but yet they believed in the first five books of Moses. What's the second book? Exodus. Here Jesus is quoting from Exodus. He's quoting from Exodus, their book that they believed on and trying to show them their error of their ways. Paul declares that he believed all Scripture. He believed in every prophecy in the Old Testament concerning Jesus Christ. Quote, do you ever wonder why God gave us all these instructions concerning the tabernacle? Little children learn by pictures. The Bible is a picture book, and God wants us to learn the truths he has for us by looking at the pictures he has given us. Paul knew the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. Paul believed the pictures God painted for him. They all came true when he saw Jesus Christ. Paul knew the pictures. We get angry sometimes and we get upset because we're studying hard passages in the Old Testament and they don't seem to make sense to us and they, they seem to go on and on and, and there's all kinds of parts and things like that. But the picture is Jesus Christ. Old Testament. Christ concealed, New Testament, Christ revealed. We look at that and we glean from that. Paul says, I believe all the Scripture concerning the Messiah. And remember, back then, the only Scripture there was was the Old Testament. That's the only Scripture that there was. We've been given such a greater privilege than that. We have a New Testament. We have an entire New Testament. And I guess the question is, do you believe all the Scriptures? Do you believe them be true? It's very sad today that there are some who claim that the Scriptures are not relevant for today. Not relevant. So, truth changes. What was true is not true now. Oh, I have a hard time with that. Truth will always be truth. Truth will always stand against falsity. It will always there. It doesn't cease to be true. And just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it ceases to be true. God has not changed his mind. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul says, I have hope in God. A hope that, by the way, some of you have. Because he looked into the crowd of his accusers, and there were some Pharisees there too. There were some of the Pharisees there too, and they believed in the resurrection of the dead. And he said, I have this hope, a hope that some of you have also. Paul's basis and belief is founded on something that was accepted by a very, very large segment of the Jewish population, especially the Pharisees, and that was the resurrection of the dead. But Paul now has a better hope than they because he saw the risen Christ. He has evidence of the resurrection himself. He saw the risen Christ. You know, we're told in the book of Revelation that when we find out there's going to actually be two resurrections, one for the just and one for the unjust. There's approximately a thousand years between these two resurrections. The rest of the dead live not until the thousand years expired. Blessed is he who takes part in the first resurrection. Over him the second death has no power. In Revelation 20, verses 5 and 6. Many, many people believe that the first resurrection takes place over a period of time. Jesus was indeed the first fruits of that, those that rose from the dead. Because he said in John eleven twenty six, 26, he who lives and believes in me will never die. And for the child of God, death is an immediate translation. Immediately translation from this old tent into the new house. A new house not made with hands. A new glory not made. The account in Revelation chapter 19 is the final account of the first resurrection. It's the completion of the first resurrection, and the final ones enter into the first resurrection, those who were martyred into the kingdom. 
They complete the first resurrection. But you know what? I believe that the minute a person's spirit is moved out of his body, it moves into this new house, the new building of God. Be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, it says. I believe that we move from one body to another. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall be not found naked. For we who are in this tent, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 6. The Bible teaches that we're basically a spirit, not a body. We relate to each other through these bodies, yes, but we've come to associate with each other through these bodies, yes, but the real me is a spirit. It's a spirit being. The body is just an instrument by which my spirit can express itself. The body is just the instrument. But the body isn't me. And one day, I'm going to leave this body and I'm going to go to move into a new house. This old tent is wearing down. Trust me. It's wearing down. Day after day, it gets worn and worn. It's wearing down. Since the birth, it's been wearing down. But I'm going to be moving into the house of God, a building that God made. In that glorious chapter 14 of John, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. I believe he's referring to my new body. I believe he's referring to this new body that I'm going to get, a body that I'm not made with hands. God's preparing a place for me, Jesus said, and if I go to prepare a place, I'm coming again to receive you. That where I am, you can be also. A new body, a new glorious body. I don't need anything in a new body. I certainly don't need to go to the bathroom, and I don't have to go to the bedroom. I don't have to sleep. God's talking about the building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Notice the contrast. The tent, which he talks about, is always transient. It's always temporal. You set up a tent, you take it down. The tabernacle that we've been studying in the wilderness was temporary. They set it up, they took it down. Everywhere they went, they set it up and they took it down. This tent that we're in, temporary. It's a temporary dwelling place. Temporary dwelling place. The building of God is eternal and it'll last forever in the heavens. Yeah, we're moving on up. Yeah, to a deluxe body in the sky. Yeah, we're moving on up. We are moving up. And that's our hope. I pray that I hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I pray that that would be his command to me. I pray that that's what it is. When Paul was writing his first epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 15, what a glorious chapter, chapter 15 is. You should read it because it talks explicitly about resurrection, about our new body. People are asking a question, how can the dead be raised? What will the body be? This is a question that people ought to ask. What the body's going to be like? If you're going to get a changed body, what's it going to look like? A lot of people get attached to these bodies, you know, at least in their minds, and they want somehow to hold on to this body. This body's pretty good, yeah, you know, and I'm not a bad-looking guy. This is a pretty good body. Ugh. I want that new body. I want that new body that's not going to be aching and painting when I get up and when I walk around. I want that new body that doesn't gain a few pounds when I pass a McDonald's. I want a new body. I want a new body, glorious, that God made with his own hands. 
God designed this body for me. When I get that body that he made it, and he adapted it for these environments. Where our body's been adapted for the environment of earth, has it not? You know, my body takes oxygen out of 79 over 20 nitrous oxygen balance in the atmosphere. My body gleans the oxygen out of that. Do you know there are 14 pounds per square inch hammering on this body? It's really cool. God designed my body for earth. He didn't design my body for heaven. He didn't design my body for heaven. Now, I can get to heaven in a body. It's called a space suit. And I can go up there with my space suit. And say, Here I am, God, with my big boots. Here I am, God. This is great. No. God's going to give me a glorious body. He's going to give me a wonderful body. A great place. I don't need a space suit. God designing me a body. You know, it's really cool because we've been talking in, in Exodus about how God designed the priestly garments. And we said that they were walking down the street. Who's your designer, Gucci? No, God. Oh, why? God now designing me a body. He's designing me a body. Some of you are thinking, well, you need one, Dave. Well, you know, he's designing one for me. It's going to be fantastic. This wonderful body. See, God wants me to be with him in the kingdom. And in order to do that, I have to transfer shop. I got to come from this body to that body. I got to change. It'll take place at death when the earthly tent is devolved and I moved into the body that God made with hand. As Pastor Chuck said, when you read that Chuck Smith has died, don't believe it. He just changed tents. He's moved on. He's moved on to a new glorious body. Paul says, I believe in the resurrection, both of the just and the unjust. We will have part in the first resurrection. Blessed is he over him. The second death has no power. And this immediately puts to rest all and silences all the ridicule that the atheist and the unbeliever who come against the people and tell all the horrible problems of the resurrection. Well, what about the people that have been cremated and their ashes are all over the place? How do they come back together? What about those who have been buried and decom decomposed? Don't they become part of the soil and we eat the soil and then now they're part of our bodies? I mean, what about all those things? They come up with all these wild questions. What about people with transplants? Whose body will they be in? You know, when they come up with all these crazy ideas, there's no problem with the resurrection because God has designed it. God has made it. Thanks be to God. It's a building not made with hands. It's eternal in heaven. Paul says, I believe in the resurrection, both of the just and the unjust. Paul believes it. Paul has truth of the resurrection. He saw with his own eyes Jesus Christ the righteous. He saw with his own eyes. And because of his testimony and witness, Paul can, says, my conscience is clear. Look at verse 16. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Paul taught the truth and had evidence to prove it. Paul finishes his defense explaining the gift offering he had brought to Jerusalem church. Look at verses 17 through 21. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to the offerings to my nation in the midst of some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me, or else let those who are here themselves say if they found anything wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for some statement, one statement that I made, which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged by you this day. Paul tells the governor the only reason he came to Jerusalem was to worship, to give alms he collected from the Gentile church, to give them. This is the only time this offering is ever mentioned. And as far as profaning of the temple, wouldn't there be a record in the temple of Paul's coming in there and paying for the vows of the Nazarites? There'd be a record of that. Paul says, this is not here. Where is it? Where are the accusers? Where are the accusers? They ought to have been here. And those of you who know, come on, they should be here. Paul reminds Felix that there is no eyewitness testimony to prove the charges of Paul's accusers. 
And this is huge. F.F. Bruce says this was a strong point in his defense. The people who had raised the hue and the cry in the first instance, proclaiming to be eyewitnesses of this alleged sacrilege, they weren't even there. They were no-shows. Because Paul is right, he consistently calls the case back to the evidence. And everything the accusers should be involved. As Christians, we should never be ashamed of the truth or the evidence that supports the truth. If we're following God, the truth and the evidence are our friends, not our accusers. Augustine says, where I found truth, there I found God. Who is the truth itself? Spurgeon said this, saints not only desire to love and speak truth with their lips, but they seek to be true within. They will not lie even in the closet of their hearts, for God is there to listen. They scorn double meanings, evasions, equivocations, white lies, flatteries, and deceptions. So I have to ask as we close, where do you find your truth? Where do you place your truth and where do you place your trust? What is truth to you? In this world, Christian or non-Christian, unjust and just will be judged. But we're going to have hardships. We're going to have tribulations. We're going to have trials from sicknesses, diseases, relationship problems, financial problems, anxiety, fear, loneliness, heartbreak. Wow. And they're the good ones. Some of you who are Christians have prodigals that have left home and are off someplace and you're worried about them. Some of you who are Christians have loved ones, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, relatives who are not saved, who need Jesus Christ. We're in a dark place. We're in a dark world. Have you seen what's going on in our world lately? Have you seen what's happening in our world? The world beckons you. Come on. It's a good time. Come on. beckons you. The world slanders us. Government's taking God out of the picture. You know, when you search for the truth in the world, this world, you will not find it. You will not find it in this world. You cannot. Because the world is Satan's. And he's the father of all lies. He's the ruler of this world. You cannot find the truth in the world. You will only find truth in God's word. God's word and God's word alone is where truth can be found. It's where God's character is revealed and the truth is told. We have an eternal promise. I'm going to leave you with this. 2 Peter 1, verse 4. Peter says, By which we've been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We have precious promises that we can glean from. Psalm 138, verse 2, reminds us that God honors his word even above his name. We never have to doubt any promise of God. Instead, we should let God be true and every man a liar. Romans 3, 4. For these reasons, God's promises are so great to us. They're so great to us, and we should glean from them. I have to ask you, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in the world's truth, or are you trusting in God's truth? There's so much more evidence for God's truth than the world's truth. So much more evidence in our lives for God's truth than the world's truth. We should trust in God because he is so trustworthy. He has proven himself time and time and time again. What are you trusting in? Trust in God. Hope in him and his love. Amen? Amen. Well, that's all the time we have for today here on Cape Watch Radio with Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Don't forget to join us next time as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of today's program, we'd like to make available to you a free copy of today's message. 
We can send you a copy of today's message on audio CD when you email us at info at capewatchradio.com. That's info at capewatchradio.com. Or you can listen to or download the message as originally recorded at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Just visit our website at www.capewatchradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place your order, you can always call us at 609-884-5821. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that toll-free number is 609-884-5821. Again, we invite you to visit our website at www.capewatchradio.com, where we provide helpful information about our beliefs, service times, and a convenient map to our church. You can also email us with any questions or comments you might have. And that address again is info at capewatchradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you're in the Irma, New Jersey area and would like to visit us, Calvary Chapel Cape May is located at 596 Seashore Road in Irma, New Jersey. Cape Watch Radio is the radio ministry of Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel Cape May. Please join us next time as we continue our study through the book of Acts. That's next time on Cape Watch Radio.